Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode number 167 of the Sports Podcast. Anthony and yours truly, Tim, with you here tonight. And on the eve of the wild card series in Major League Baseball as your Cleveland Guardians will be taking on the Tampa Rays, the two teams who have changed their names in the last 20 years, uh, against each other in the first round of the 2022 playoffs. How about that? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, like we've talked about, you and I, and I've, I've talked about with a couple other people, it's, uh, it's kind of an improbable run, except, except, I don't really think it's improbable to you because in March, you're the one who said the high watermark, the uh, ceiling, was 92 wins. And if you look at the standings, as I know you don't, but you can look at them now, Tim, 92 and 70 is what they finished as of yesterday. So, yeah. uh, truly remarkable. When you think about it, as they came into this year, this is a and I and I don't like the word rebuilding because to me, I don't really think they were rebuilding. I think you and I used the term uh, back in April when the season started uh, retooling. Yeah, you know, I think that's a better uh, term. Uh, re- rebuilding to me is what the Rangers or the Orioles or the Pirates or the Pirates are just—I don't know what they're doing. Rebuilding means you're basically starting from scratch and you're building your way back to the top. Uh, I believe retooling is what uh, the Guardians have done last year and this year. And I believe last year was probably year number one for the retooling, and uh, this year was year number two. And I think the retool is ahead of schedule, Tim. Yeah, I would say you can. You can definitely say it's ahead of schedule. I honestly believe it's more of a, a commitment. Uh, they exactly. made a desire commitment to get younger and use players and find out what players fit and didn't fit. And they mm-hmm. had some baggage early in the season. When I mean by baggage, they had players that were on their 40-man roster that they couldn't move or couldn't mm-hmm. find out where they yep. fit in the organization. And it took a while. It took probably 60 days for that to kind of level out. Uh, some injuries early in the season prevented, you know. Yep. You know, let's face it, Bobby Bradley had an opportunity at first base and mm-hmm. did not succeed. Uh, Bradley Zimmer made it back to the major leagues and, you know, basically did not succeed with uh, the Guardians. Mm-hmm. And there's a few others. Those are the two that come to mind. Uh, obviously, uh, Mercado was another one. Yeah. And a few others that just were kind of caught in that no man's land. I like to say at times when you're playing high school football, when you're between the, the, the 40 and the 20 yard line of your opponent on fourth down, what do you do? Do you punt the ball and it goes in the end zone and it's a small, you know, just a, a small punt? Or do you go on fourth down and four because, you know, they still have to go 60, 65 yards to score a touchdown. So you may you may succeed. That's why I always call mm-hmm. it the no-man land in high school sports. And I think these players that we were just talking about were all in that no-man's land. They never developed a consistency at the major league level. And they were the first opportunities to secure jobs here, even though... I think even the organization at times was like, well, we got 
we we got to find out because we got to find out what we have, and yeah, as happened, they all got released or traded, um, and they all the two of them came back to the organization uh, through uh, waivers themselves. So as crazy as it sounds, uh, they weren't on the forty man roster anymore, but. We did end up with uh, players back in the organization and all that. And then what it did is open up spots for Gonzalez and for like a Brennan late in the year and others yep. to be added to the 40-man roster, which needed to happen because that's a rotating yeah. thing. You have your solid 20 players on your team every year, maybe 21 players. You know, you can say you have a solid 10 pitchers and a solid lineup every year, and that's eight. So... If you did that, it's 18 players that you know that are on your 40-man roster every year. And then you have uh, maybe five or six players every year that will compete for the last spots of your of your 26. And then you have your 14 that are on your top 40. So it was a combination of, of finding out who those players are and which ones made improvement during the season that made them necessary to become part of the 40-man roster. And we've seen that throughout the year. We've seen that in the pitching staff, too. I mean, a lot of the pitchers that came up and down. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a kind of a let's make a commitment. I think when I really, really uh, thought this team had a chance was at the trade deadline when they chose not to make a move. And they made a commitment to the players that they had. And when you're that young, you don't mm-hmm. know better. You just know to play hard. And that's what they did. Yeah. And then you have the X factor, and that's Terry Francona. I, I say every year he's worth 8 to 10 wins a year. That's why I said 92 wins is not out of the question because I have Terry Francona all season in the dugout. I think last year was a perfect example of what I'm talking about. DeMarlo did a nice job. He did the best job he possibly could on a very trying circumstances in the second half when he took over. But you could see the difference in how the team responded and how the team uh, did the thing. I'm not saying he's not a great coach because that, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is just how the team responded to the person who runs it. And... Terry Francona somehow communicates the best with his players. He's done it everywhere he's been. Did it in Boston. Did it here for the last 10 years. Even did it in Philadelphia when he was there. And he was getting his feet wet at the major league level as a manager. Um, I honestly think Terry Francona, his presence, his thought process, his ability to manage a game is worth 8 to 10 wins a season. Just because of how he channels things. Now, now, you need some good breaks to go your way. No team wins without good breaks. This team did very well in extra innings. That's That was their big break. They yeah. had like 24 extra inning ball games, and I think they won 18 of them or something crazy. A good number like that. What the exact number is, I don't remember. But it was a really a phenomenal uh, number. And that really is the difference. Uh, if you have a losing record in extra innings, and we've had them in the past, the last four or five years, it's difficult to overcome those. Those are losses that could have been wins because you were, you know, leveled at after nine innings. So, I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about there, Anthony. But 
I I honestly think uh, when I when we talk about the win loss record, you know, I said from the very beginning of the season, I thought eighty five to ninety two was the range to look at. Uh, I says if things bounce their way, look at ninety two and. You know, September. I mean, what a record. I mean, from September 5th on, I mean, just ridiculous what they did. Yeah, I believe I heard a stat uh, today, Tim, from the All-Star break on. Uh, we had the second-best record in the majors behind Houston. That's pretty impressive. Uh, that's really impressive, like you talked about, because, you know, that encompassed the trade deadline where we didn't do anything. And I think that was really the turning point where this team saw – okay, they're not going to make a move because they believe in what we have here. Um, but you, know, you want to dive deeper in the 92 wins. and uh, It's what an incredible feat. And, you know, let's touch on Terry Francona first, like you talked about. Um, it's, it's, it's remarkable how well he's done. I believe I saw a stat, Tim. I believe this was his sixth 90-win season. As manager of the Guardians, yes, and the Indians, uh, getting back to the thirteen, um, and the, this team this year was the best in baseball from the seventh inning on. Uh, Naylor and Jimenez led baseball; they were top five in baseball in average and RBIs and home runs. Uh, this team set the front or the club record for. Uh, come from behind wins. They broke the 1995 team's record. And we all know that 95 team, team, Tim, how special that team was. They were never out of a game, uh, seemingly. And that's how I feel with this team is if we can get to the sixth, seventh inning within two runs, you feel pretty good about your chances. And you're not going to win every game, obviously. But more often than not, Tim, you're going to have the tying run or the go-ahead runs on base or at the plate uh, late in the game, and that's remarkable in its own self. And you, you know, you talk about uh, breaks going your way. And last year, we were in. Was it June? Yeah, it was June last year, Tim. And we were in Pittsburgh. I was there for the Saturday game, and our whole starting rotation was hurt. Correct. This year. We got really fortunate. You know, the only really bad injury was Anthony Ghost being lost this season with Tommy John surgery. You know, guys had their nicks and bruises, but no real substantial injuries. And, and you know, that is what goes into winning 92 games. You have to stay healthy. And it's, and it's a skill with your trainers and guys putting work to stay in shape. And it's a credit to the guys here, given the... Uh, lockout and you know can't work out the facilities and staying in shape. It's uh, really impressive. We saw all the injuries throughout Major League Baseball this year, um, and for this team to stay fairly healthy. Um, I was looking here tonight. I think we talked about it briefly on the last podcast. But you look at the lineup now, and you got Quan and left, and you got Rosario, and you got Jose and. Oscar Gonzalez and Josh Naylor and Andres Jimenez and, you know, Owen Miller or Will Brennan and Miles Straw and Hedges or Maley. I'm looking at the opening day lineup in Kansas City, okay? Franmil Reyes was your DH. He's now in Chicago. Bobby Bradley was DFA'd. He's back in Columbus. 
Oscar Mercado played some. He's in Columbus. He was DFA'd. Yu Chang was your starting second baseman. He's bounced around between Tampa and Boston and Pittsburgh. Um, so, that, I mean, it's just incredible to see the roster change so drastically from then until now. And like you mentioned, you know, they were in a little bit of a cog there where they had, you know, they didn't have room for all these guys. And because of injuries and this and that, they had to wait a little bit longer. And like you said, it took about 60, 65 games um, to really figure out, okay, this is who we're going to go with. and This is who we're going to DFA or try to trade. Um, and well, like you talked on. Well, here's, 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 yeah. here's something you're, you know, what, just to uh, reiterate what you were talking about, um, you look at the lineup and how it it was formed uh, this mm-hmm. year. I mean, you look at you know Stephen Kwan; uh, he was drafted in the fifth round in eighteen. Yep. Rosario was traded for in the Lindor deal. Jose mm-hmm. Ramirez was was a international free agent signing in 09. You know, yep. Josh Naylor was traded from San Diego in 20. You know, yep. Andres uh Jim Jimenez was part yep. of the Lindor trade. Uh you look at Oscar Gonzalez, he was a free agent again, an international free agent uh that was signed in 14. Will Brennan, he was drafted in the 8th round in 19. Uh, you know, Austin Hedges, he was part of a trade from San Diego in 20. Yes. And Miles, mm-hmm. Miles Straw, maybe the more, one of the be- in, more interesting trades of uh, the 21 season because the Guardians, then the Indians, were not in contention but traded one of their, their relievers and ended up with a center yeah. fielder uh, just to – you know, give you an idea where some of these players came from. I mean, this is where the organization has excelled in this year is identifying players they believe in and what they can do. Uh, you look at, you know, Bo Naylor. Of course, he was a number one draft pick in 18. You know, he's now mm-hmm. with, with the Guardians. Luke Maley was a free agent pickup this offseason. Yep. Um, Gabriel Aris, he was, he was traded for from San Diego when, in 20. Yep. Yep. You know, Owen mm-hmm. Miller came from San Diego in 20. Uh, you know, we we mentioned, you know, Will Benson. You know, he was drafted in, in 16. Um, this is just really, when you look at everything this team does, look at the starting rotation when you look at the five who primarily started this year. You know, Shane Beaver, he was drafted in the fourth round in 16. Tristan McKenzie comes from the draft in the first round in 15. You know, Quantrell was traded for in 20 from San Diego. Savali was drafted in the third round in 16. And Zach Plesek was also drafted in the 12th round of 16. I mean, just shows you, you know, some of the things they did. Of course, you look at the bullpen. You know, Class A was traded from Texas in the Kluber deal. Yeah. You know, yep. Karen Check was drafted. Uh, Stefan was a Rule 5 player. I mean, they're just identifying yeah. players. You know, Nick Sadlin. Uh, Sandlin, um, he was a second-round draft pick in 18. Sam Hedges was a fourth-round draft pick in 14. Eli Morgan was drafted in the eighth round in 17. Uh, you just look across the board of what they've done, 
and how they they built this team. It's been across the board what they've done, either through trades, but they've identified the players that they wanted to target for whatever reason. And there's times where, you know, we've all said, what are they doing? You know, and it's understandable because you only read, you know, the the profile of a player many years ago. And I I think maybe the perfect example is what we're talking about. If you go all the way back to when Carrasco was traded for in the uh, Cliff Lee deal. deal. Cliff Lee deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When when they received him. Um, He was not on the radar of many teams. Matter of fact, they had, uh, I forget what player it was, uh, that was ranked number one in their in their system, and that was, you know, Antonetti and them saying, no, that's not who we're targeting. We're targeting Carrasco, and that's who they got in that trade. So they there's certain aspects of players that they are looking for, and they've been very successful in the last 10 years of targeting players either through trade, free agency, or in uh, the draft. And finding, you know, players that that fits their need. Now, going back to what you were talking about earlier about the lineup, Anthony, let's look at it this way. Um, Miles Straw has, what, 20 stolen bases this year? 2021, yes. Rosario had 18 this year. Ramirez had over 20. Yes. Uh, Jimenez had 20. Four guys over 18, yeah. Yeah. Even Gonzalez had a few stolen bases when he came up, you know, in May, since May. Yeah. you can see what I'm trying to say is, and then you look at the batting averages. No one really stands out as, oh, my God, what a great year. I mean, Jimenez does. I mean, he batted basically 300 yeah. this year. And then, Quan of course, yeah, and Quan mm-hmm. and, and Ramirez. But that's what we were talking about last year. Remember last year when we got no hitters so many times? Five times, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What, what what were we talking about? All the strikeouts that lineup had and non-contact. Now, you look yeah. at this year. You know, besides Ramirez, who's on that team, and Naylor, who got injured, you know, in the halfway point of last year, so he was not on all those uh, teams that got no hit. It, uh, mm-hmm. but you've added a Quan, you added a Rosario who bats two eighty, you added Jimenez is batting three hundred, yeah. yeah, Gonzalez batting over two eighty, well, basically three hundred since July. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and. You you could see all of a sudden what they were talking about all season long, how this team makes contact and doesn't strike out. Just the opposite of what we've seen last season. And you can see the difference in just how this team has played all season long. If you've been paying attention, you've noticed this. It's not just this is not a fluke what they did this season. They did this through players playing up to their capabilities. And also a manager who really never gives up on a player. And some say that he stays with them too long, but mm-hmm. he he believes in his guys and he tries to nurture them all the way through a very long season. And that's really what I think Terry Francona does. On one of his best, besides managing a bullpen, is he's able to get guys just to be comfortable and play. And he's done this throughout his career. And that's what makes superstars long-term. We'll see, you know, as the years go by, how some of these players pan out long-term. But in 2022, you don't have, other than Miles Straw, who batted 220 this year, and your catching Uh position that was basically a 200 hitter most of the season, the other seven produced 
you know, 270 or better. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. Well, you want to talk about it, and I believe it's 2-4, Tim, is you look at last year, and we talked about it almost at nauseum is how many strikeouts. Where was this team going to strain together hits? And you talked on it last year. This team last year needed to score by stringing together two to three hits in a row in an inning. They couldn't do that at all. It, it was almost really difficult for them to do that, and it led to them being no hit five or four times because they were no hit in a seven-inning game against these Tampa Bay Rays. Right. So that did not count, but it was five technically. Um, but you really look at Tim as why this team is so successful playing the way they do. And they lead Major League Baseball in going first to third in a single. That is putting so much pressure on a defense. You know, you go first or on a single, Tim. But you touch on it. How many guys had over 15 stolen bases this year? In a, in a time period where baseball is so much line jangle and three-run homers, you know, this team wants to run you to death like a track meet. Well, they ha- that's because it, that's how they're built. They don't have. But, if they had three bombers, they would be like New York oh, and yeah. bomb away. Well, I'm yeah. just, you know, being but, realistic here. But, well, yes. Yes, but you got to – but the sign of a great coach or manager is you is utilizing your talent and yes. your skill sets to the best of its ability. And I think that's so poignant, Tim, as, you know, as we're on the eve of game one of the wild card series – um, and a lot of people are like, well, how did they get there? Well, it's always been pitching and defense, and that's always been a strong point from 2013 on. You know, this year you mentioned the high contact rate, low strikeout, going first to third, but it, it, it was really Terry Francona and his coaching staff setting the tone, and he's talked about it when – Jose signed the contract extension. He sat Jose and Ahmed Rosario down, and he said, you're the leaders of this team. And we can't ask these younger guys to do this if you're not going to be all in. And it's the – and I'm sitting there yesterday. I'm not sure if you caught the game or not from yesterday. But it's the um, seventh inning, and it's 6-2, to 7-2. Two, two. So the game is pretty much in hand. out yeah. of reach. Yeah, you feel really confident with this bullpen, uh, the 6-2, 7-2 lead, that you're going to get the job done. Um, seventh inning, and it's a ball hit. It really wasn't hitting the gap. It's a single for nine out of ten hitters in baseball. Jose Ramirez stretches it into a double. And and then he advances the third in a wild pick and scores right. uh, there shortly after on a sack fly. And that right there summed up why this team is where they're at. Your best you, you, player you did exactly it. In a game where it's not going to affect getting into the playoffs, playoff seedings. But I hate to call it meaningless because no game in 162 is meaningless. Uh, you always want to win. There's always something. But in, in the grand scheme of things, it's meaningless. I use Eric words as we're talking. But that hustle that effort to get over to third and to come home um, from your best player in one in game 162 that he did in game one 
it's really impressive. Uh, it it really is. And been, just to reinforce some of the players that have come and made contributions this year to this team. I mean, you look at, you know, Tyler Freeman, who got just recently optioned back down to AAA. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Ernie Clement this year when he came up and down. Yeah. Uh, Richie Palacio, you know, um, Carlos Vegas, or Vargas, excuse me, making it, making a pitch. Yeah. 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 Uh, Connor um, Blinkington, Hunter Gaddis, you know, uh, just the Kirk name McCarty. of. Yeah. Z- was it Xavion uh, Curry? You know, it's just amazing. Yeah. Anthony Castro. Well, I mean, these are just some of the players that made appearances touch, this year. And, and Cody Morris. On who, and I don't think you touched on one player who's been a really big key out of that bullpen is Daniel De Los Santos. He was DFA'd last year by Philadelphia. For Pittsburgh, one of the two. Right, right. Then he caught on with the other one, and they didn't re-sign him this year. And we picked him up on a minor league deal. And look where he is now, Tim. He's pitching high-level situations. When he comes in, you feel pretty damn good that you're going to get one, two, three, and you're going to go to the next inning. Yeah, I mean, how um, about, you know, Alex Young and Tanner Tolley? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's amazing some of the players. I mean, you forget about some of these guys. You, you don't pay any attention. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they, some of them were a cup of coffee uh, up for a weekend. Yeah, and they down. were. Some of them uh-huh. were here for a couple Nolan weeks. Jones. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, you know, Goes is probably the, one of the, the great storylines of baseball this year, being a guy who was an yeah. outfielder, you know, transitioned late in his career to become a pitcher and made it back to the major leagues. Uh, you know, those are the type of, you know, storylines that we're talking about. This team is interesting, meaning it's built around, we've been saying this for the last three, four seasons, around the starting pitching. But we've seen this year, unlike the previous year, the bullpen kind of find its niche, meaning Class A became the dominant closer that I was always concerned about. I'm the first to admit it. Was you know? Yes, mm-hmm. I I said it all year. I, I at times I said I'm afraid he's going to be Ernie Camacho, and I you know a guy who throws really hard, but can he get people out? And I'm really throwing back the uh, memory banks to, for some people with that one, but that was my concern about him. Uh, he proved me wrong all season long. Give him credit where credit is due. Uh, but maybe in, in a lot of ways, this might sound kind of crazy, even though they've always had Class A as the closer. Last year, when he stumbled, they used you know a few different pitchers closing the games, including Karajek yes. and a few others. Maybe yes. the maybe the best thing that happened to him, and it's just a kind of a a scenario that that transpired was was Karinchek was not on the roster to begin the season because of injury, so they had yep. to just put him out there and say, "This is your job. We're building around you Go. as our closer, yeah. and we'll find everybody else." To lead to you, and uh-huh. as time went by, we found those guys. And at one early in the season, it was Morgan, and then it became yeah. Los Santos, and then actually, yeah, it was Tre- it's that Trevor Stephan. exactly. Yeah. So we've seen how this team has evolved all season long, and that's a lot to do with what Frank Cone, the way he handles pitchers, the way he 
really never gives up on a player and gives them opportunity. Uh, you look at what Connor Plinkenton does this year. I mean, nothing. You look at his stats, nothing stands out. Like, oh, my God. But he made 12 starts this year for this team. 12 starts. Well, the thing that impressed me about Bill And he kept is, coming up every doubleheader and pitching for us. I mean, that was just. He saved. Yes, he saved your rotation. He saved your bullpen. Um, but, and like you talked about, his overall stats, if you just look at them on paper, they don't stand down and go, wow, he pitched really well. But you could see each start he kept learning and learning and learning. And then you go into his last start. And I. And I believe, and you look back on the season when it's all said and done, as one of the, and I think I made a comment on Facebook, Tim, um, that it went from one of the most devastating losses in this franchise has had in the last five to seven years to arguably one of the best wins. And that's game two of the Minnesota five-game series when they're up 5 nothing. Stefan and Karen Jack had an off game. They blow it. It's tied 5-5, and they win in the 15th inning. But why I talk about that is Connor Pilkington went out and went six no-hit innings. And that's right there we saw, okay, the light bulb might be starting to come on for this kid. And next year when you need him, he's going to be – further along and developed and a lot more comfortable to where he can help you out in the stretch run. Um, it, it, that's really impressive to me. Uh, you want to talk about a player, and I'll be the first to admit, and I was very vocal about it, and I still am to a point. And if you go back and uh, listen to our podcast in May and June, I was ready to send Austin Hedges to Mahoning Valley. I didn't care if they weren't affiliated with the our Guardians anymore. I was so dumb with Austin Hedges, but and he had a terrible offensive year. I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He was downright awful. The second half of the season, he got a little bit better, but still not acceptable offensively. However, the job he did bringing a plethora of starting pitchers along, from Shane Bieber to you mentioned Hunter Gaddis and Xavier Curry to the bullpen and Emmanuel Classe and, you know, Eli Morgan, all the young guys. Um, the job he did and just the work that he put in uh, was extremely impressive and more so, I think, that helped off the field being a leader. You know, he's one of the older guys, Tim, you know, because he's been in the league um, with San Diego you touched on and uh, just the job he did as an overall clubhouse leader when this team was searching for guys beyond Jose Ramirez to step up, uh, the job Austin Hedges did this year, as well as Luke Mayle. I don't want to forget Luke Mayle either. Uh, the job those two guys did um, was pretty well, commendable. It tells you that, A, that this team is led by a very veteran manager who allows players to grow and have opportunities. Hedges has his challenges. He's not the best catcher in the world. We've had better defensive catchers. He's yeah. he's, he's he's quality. He does a nice he's good, job. Yeah. 
He does a nice job. Now, if you want to rate him defensively as good as some of you know Perez was or some of the Gomes, others, yeah. yeah, Gomes, I don't think he's in that league. However, no. um, he does communicate very well with his with his uh, pitchers, and he has done a nice job. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's as, – as his bat – we knew this ahead of time. I never put a player down for what they are. You know, you are who you are as a player. You may have a career year. And a career year for him might be batting 280 all season and having 20 home runs and 60 RBIs, okay? That may be a career year type scenario for a Hedges. But he is who mm-hmm. he is. Meaning, you know that 220, 240 is his max. It really is. He, he's that, that type of player. He's a guess hitter, meaning when he guesses right on the right fastball, he's going to catch up to it and knock it out. And he's done that yep. a few times this year. Sometimes it's a curveball. He guesses right and gets it. I it, nothing take nothing away from it. That's just that's just playing the game. Um, Maley is the same way. They both did exactly what they wanted him to do. Now, obviously, we know the future because they even brought him up at the very end of the season in Naylor and Bo Naylor, and mm-hmm. there will be, you know, Bo Naylor is a guy who can probably bat. 260 to 280 consistently at the major league level if given the opportunity long term. Um, it won't shock me at all if Hedges and uh, Naylor are your catchers next year. And by all star break, Naylor is your number one catcher, you know, getting probably 65, 70% of the games from that point on. It won't surprise me at all. Might might start at the beginning of the next season. We won't know until we get there. But uh, you could see how the organization wanted a third catcher uh, for this yep. roster and made that move to put him on the roster in the last week of the season and give him his first as Francona talked so elegantly about, and he talked about that all season long where they had 18 rookies making their major league debuts, and he handled it so well as a manager. And late in the season, I mean, like Will Brennan, same thing. Let's let's get these guys up here. Let's get their first out of the way. They may actually help yep. us down the line. And we're seeing that Arias is what you know again, who had a terrible year at AAA, absolutely horrendous year, but. You know, being rewarded for you know doing what he what he brings to the club and what his potential is. Um, in the meantime, you you know you show your gratitude and your utmost respect for someone like a a Shaw who you know you designated for assignment the last week of the season, and he's staying with the team. You know he's going to work the team like uh, like a secondary coach in the bullpen, uh, and be with the guys throughout this playoff run. Um, and I'll be quite honest with you, Anthony. I fully expect him to get a minor league contract next year with the, with the Guardians and be in training camp and have a chance to make this team out of out of training camp again. I will be totally not totally surprised, but I will be more shocked that that doesn't transpire than him actually retiring at the end of the season. I think he's coming back next year, and we'll see exactly what he did. Because what he did this year goes unnoticed. I mean, he did whatever. He fell on his sword many times. And uh, 
players like that, you got to reward. And I honestly do believe, and I, and I don't have any inside information. It's just my personal thoughts here that I won't be surprised come March next year we hear that that uh, Shaw has signed a minor league deal to come to camp and have an opportunity to make this club out of, out of training camp. And I, it won't surprise me at all. And uh, we'll see if that happens or not. But I will. I I truly expect something like that to happen. And uh, he's he was expendable, meaning he was the one guy that you could move off because you had so many young guys stepped up here in the last two months. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm really looking forward to the matchup. Uh, the Rays is a team that I th- believe the Guardians had a four and two record on a regular yep. season against. Yeah, uh, yep. obviously all that gets thrown out tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. This is about you know Beaver and his matchup, and we'll see how we do. Obviously, uh, probably the biggest indicator in the game, if you know this team well, is if they score first. They usually win, not a hundred percent at a time, but they usually put themselves in great position to win. So, if the Guardians can get out to an early lead in the first or second inning of tomorrow's afternoon game, you know they can get that game won. If they get game one, all the pressure then moves to the Rays to stay alive, and that's what oh. a three-game series does. It really puts so much pressure on game one because now you're yep. halfway there. Oh. Whoever wins. Well, you thought this year, Tim, in the regular season is when this team won game one of a series. More often than not, they went on to win the series. Um, you know, you look at this matchup, and I'll be quite honest, I was rooting for Seattle to fall to that uh, wild card, the third wild card seed where they'd come to Cleveland. Um, even though they kicked our butts this year in the regular season, uh, they're banged up right now, the, the Mariners are, and there's a little more swing and miss in that lineup, which is, I think, a better matchup for this pitching staff. Uh, the Rays are so well managed. Uh, you know, this team is uh, led by Kevin Cash, who is a Tito disciple, um, and and they mirror the Guardians. It's, it's a lineup that wants to get contact, get on base. They'll fall off a lot of picks. They won't strike out a ton. Um, now, granted, they've really scuffled of late offensively. They've lost five in a row. Um, so hopefully we can keep them in their cold spell to end their season. Uh, but you look at their pitching staff, and, it, and it's a, a little non-traditional the way Kevin Cash uses it. Uh, their bullpen has pitched uh, the, the most innings of any bullpen in baseball this year. And their starting staff that they're going to throw out there uh, Shane McClanahan was up for Cy Young. I think Justin Freelander pretty much has that locked up now. Uh, Tyler Glass now, who's just come back from injury, he pitched against us last week in the series. He's not fully stretched out. Um, and then if you get to a game three, you got Jeffrey Springs, the lefty, who was really tough against us last Tuesday. Well, yeah. And the lefties have given this team a fix. And then you got Corey Clipper, the uh, grizzled veteran. Right. And we'll see exactly how they handle it. But let's, let's give them credit where credit's due when we talk about cash he came up with the idea of the the opener 
and yeah. using mm-hmm. a pitcher for one or two innings to start the game to get them off to a good start and then bring in someone who can be kind of a long reliever, you know, who may be the um, traditional starter to start the game in inning number three or inning number two, whatever it may be. So uh, I think we're seeing that in game two. With Glasgow, I mean, I, I, you can't expect yeah. him to go more than maybe two, three innings, depending on a pitch count, uh, just because of his, you know, can he be dynamic for those two, three innings? Sure, he could. Yes, absolutely. And we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how it transpires. Um, obviously, we got, you know, a player with experience in Beaver to start the uh, the playoffs with, and then we follow up with uh, maybe the best young pitcher in baseball right now in McKenzie. So, we'll, you know, McKenzie's one, not careless, but one concern is that when he gives up a home run, they don't win. They don't win. Uh, When he keeps the ball in the ballpark, he's basically unbeatable. So, I mean, we know some of the signs we're going to see in game two. Uh, In game one, same thing. Obviously, Obviously, it's playoffs. So, Anytime you put the ball into the seats, you're going to change momentum quickly. Yep. So this team, being the way it's built, like you just mentioned, is going to have to run. It has to get on base. And it's going to have to uh, make good contact like it has all season. If they get pitched and, you know, this team top four is 0 for 4, you know, in the ball game, it's going to be difficult to score a lot of runs because this team de- depends on Quan and Ramirez and mm-hmm. Gonzalez and those to come through to give them the opportunity for the the back half of the lineup to surprise people. So it's going to be like I said, it, you never know who's going to be the goat, who's going to be the the star of a series. And I say goat, I don't mean the greatest of all time. Goat meaning back in the day, a bad thing. Um, yep. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, it'll be all good things uh, going forward. We'll talk about, you know, how Rosario or Jimenez or maybe a Will Benton or whoever it may be, a Gonzalez uh, comes up big or a Quan. I mean, we've got a lot of options of who can be that keep, star player. So, offensively, we'll wait and see. And you talk offensively, and this is a big start. You know, let's go uh, to pitching real quick. This is a big start for Shane Beaver. It's his second postseason start. His last postseason start in the wild card season, two on 20 against the Yankees, was ugly. He got roughed up. It did not go well at all. Um, the bright spot of that series was Josh Naylor offensively. You know, Naylor has always seemed in his year, in his short time from in Cleveland, to rise to the occasion. He's done in two on 20 in the postseason. He did it this year so many countless times. We go back to the White Sox series where I think the White Sox were so sick and tired of him, they don't want to allow him back to the city for a while. Uh, the walk-off run, run against the Twins on June 29th. Um, you know, Naylor has always risen to the occasion. So, uh, as you talked about, Tim, the greatest thing about posters in baseball is we talk about the Jose Ramirez's and the Shane Beavers and the Emmanuel Classes of, you know, this team being the leaders. But how many times in the past have we seen a guy that you rarely talked about during the year 
stepping up and being one of the huge bright spots of the team. In 97, we had Jarrett Wright. In 2016, we had Roberto Perez, who I think led the postseason in home runs. We never saw that coming. Right. Um, so, um, it is just that. That's what makes baseball exciting this time of the year. Yeah. It's a brand new format. So, we got the wild card round this weekend. Uh, best of three. All played in Thank Cleveland. You, yes. And we'll see exactly how it happens. Winner takes on the New York Yankees. We'll worry about that when that transpires. Uh, right now, the most important games of the season are in front of us, and that is the game one and two against the Tampa Rays, the former team known as the Devil Rays. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be back in the postseason. It's a lot of fun, Tim. I'm not sure I'm going to get much sleep tonight. Uh, I've been jacked up all day for it. Uh, just uh, postseason baseball is back at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario, and uh, it's a fun time of the year. It's it's uh, somebody described it to me, Tim. It's just special because we're not like the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Mets or the, or the Astros. We're we're not in it every year. You know, we're a small market compared to other markets in baseball, and this is what makes it so fun. Is you know the season that you've had this year with uh, seventeen major league debuts and the youngest roster in baseball, the youngest team in baseball. You know, so I'm going to finish on this. It's it, this season has been so incredible, and uh, from the comeback wins and you know the dominant pitching performances to the steady growth that these individual players have gone on. But um, we're all zero and zero now. Here we are. So so long in September about the magic number. Well, the magic number, Tim, right now is thirteen. Thirteen. That's all well, you need. Yeah. Well, let's let's do and, this. The magic number's you know, two. The magic number's okay. two. Okay. So you want to you, go? You got to take it one step. Yeah. You got to. Well, I understand the thirteen. Yeah. I will get to that if and when we're in the ALCS. And you we're on the verge of getting to the you thirteen is a big number. I mean, yeah, it is the key number. You are correct. The winner will yep. have thirteen wins in the postseason. That will change. The math doesn't change. I totally agree. Uh, you can't get the thirteen without one and two. So first That's and true. foremost is well, game one and game two, and then if necessary, game three. And we'll we go from the, there. We are the youngest team. Okay, Tim, we are the youngest team in Major League Baseball since the 1986 Mets. And by youngest team, I mean yeah. age yeah. combined with the amount of debuts in a season. Well, let me say the this. Mets that year, I believe, had 15 or 16. Right. The 86 Mets team went on to win the World Series. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but... Well, I'll say this, Anthony, and, and it's, it's a fair comparison because of, of how they they look at, at the total age of a team. I will say this. What matters here more than anything, it will be just, I think this team knows where they're at, but in the same vein, are so young, they may not yes. understand how hard it is to get there. And that's a good thing. Sometimes that's yes. a, you know, ignorance is bliss. Sometimes the difference between the New York or Mets and this team is the Mets did have veterans. Uh, 
The Mets had yes, some they did. Have veterans yes, they did. in the pitching staff and on the field, and that was leadership that that team needed. This team has one veteran leader in in this pitching staff, and that's Beaver, who's been through this. And then it had Brian Shaw in the bullpen, and Brian Shaw is not part of the postseason. Other than that, well, in the pitching staff, you really don't have that type of experience. And then on the field, you have Jose Ramirez, and that's it. Everybody else, some of them experience a little bit of it in 20, in the world, you know, like mm-hmm. Hedges and others, and Naylor. Yes. And I'm not taking anything away from their experience in, the, in 2020, because that mm-hmm. does count, and it does matter. And they have been through that, and I think that is good for those players have have mm-hmm. had this type of scenario in front of them, because that was the same thing, a three-game series. So we're going to find out exactly where we go from here. Um, again, Sometimes ignorance is bliss because you just play the game. And let's, most important, let's enjoy tomorrow's game. Let's hope for a victory and then uh, try to close this out in game two, if if necessary, game three, and then move on to the New York Yankees. But we don't have to worry about the Yankees this week. All we have to worry about uh, this weekend is the Tampa Rays. And that's what's in front of them. And that's what matters. Yeah, we have some, uh, you know, I know it's not really revenge. We got some payback after the race coming in here in uh, 2013 to win the wild card game. Yeah. It was a game back then. It's a series now. So Very similar. Focused on tomorrow. Very similar um, situation here, Anthony. The Rays that year were on a kind of a losing streak coming into the playoffs and defeated yeah, Cleveland. Yes, they were. And Cleveland had the big run of 10 straight to get into the playoffs yeah. in, in 13. Mm-hmm. So similar scenario, different managers and for Tampa. Yeah. Uh, but it will be, you know, again, we'll just take it one day at a time and one game at a time. And right now my focus is tomorrow and then Saturday and then see where we stand. Obviously, uh, get the victory in game one is the most important thing right now because that's what's in front of them. And then yep. we'll deal with the the aftermath of game one, whatever it may be, win or loss, uh, for Saturday. And I will say this, uh, Anthony, not knowing what Sunday will work like, but mm-hmm. if, and I don't, I shouldn't say this, uh, put you on a spot like this because we just don't know what's going to happen. If there's a possibility for you and I to get together for a short podcast after game two, we will do it and and review it and get it out to you as soon as possible for game three. If there is one, if they can't do it, we will be back immediately after this series ends and we will try to preview the Yankee series coming up. Uh, I want to give that little house cleaning out there. Also, I want to mention, if you go to our website, RadioMVP.com, and if you notice it hasn't been updated in a couple months, that's because our webmaster is changing. He is uh, mm-hmm. getting to the point now that he's ready to uh, retire from the Internet. He deserve retirement. Yes, and he's done a great job. Uh, he doesn't have the time and the focus to be able to do it no more. So we're in a process of determining if we need the website going forward or not. If we can uh, find a host that works for us, we're going to do it. If not, we always have our podcasts out through SoundCloud and other events and Facebook and other ways to notify you. So you don't have to worry about that. But I wanted to uh, thank uh, Mike Means personally for all his help 
over the last five years with the podcast and everything we've done. And I can't, I, I thanked him the other day when he told me that come the end of the year that he was transitioning out of the, this type of business. And I totally understood. And so we're going to, we're going to be in a little transition. If we can find some of the host, the, the pod, excuse me, the web, the website, we will do it. If we can't, uh, we'll probably just move on without it, but we have other ways to deliver the podcast to you. So the podcast will continue. And, uh, also remember this week, two podcasts came your way. Uh, we just released the ice castle report for this weekend. And of course this one will follow. And then, like I said, next week, we're going to try to get together even for a 20 minute podcast, just about a recap about these games uh, that's going on. And high school football is closing, quickly closing down to the final uh, moments of this regular season. Uh, We're in week eight right now in Ohio, week seven in Pennsylvania. Last week, I was on Western Reserve and did the games with Mark Means. We did the Borman-Harding game. What a great game, down to the final seconds. Um, if you, I have a copy of the game. I haven't listened to it. If for some reason you would like a copy, just email me. Just get a hold of me on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. You see me on social media, let me know. I can get that game to you or a broadcast of it. All right, Anthony, that's about all I have here. Let's say just go Guardians. Yeah, that's all I got. Uh, let's get tomorrow's win. We'll focus on Saturday. Saturday, uh, you got to win tomorrow. Let's just win game one. Focus on game one. It's uh, so great to have uh, playoffs, playoff baseball back. It certainly will. We'll try to, matter of fact, uh, get Kevin, our good friend um, from last year's uh, baseball season and, and football season, to get on the podcast again here. I know his Braves are in the playoffs and we can talk about that and some other things. So uh, we have some things in store. Stay tuned right here to Radio MVP. You catch us everywhere on social media and including uh, our, our webpage is still active. Probably won't be updated because it's just unable to be updated at the moment. Mm-hmm. But we will uh, get these podcasts out through SoundCloud and our distributing. So you'll get it if you get it on any platform that you get this on stitcher or uh spotify or apple uh downloads you're gonna still get it that way you're not gonna lose the uh the podcast so for anthony i am tim thank you again for listening and uh always uh have a great night everyone <laughs>